we are in the 22nd verse of the ninth chapter. Let's ask God to bless us today, Lord. We just thank you for this beautiful day and yesterday, beautiful day. And we just praise your name for all you do for us, your care over us, and for safety for each of us. Please keep us safe and in the hollow of your hand this week. And our relatives and those who we love that are sick, we pray that anyone's sick, that you would just put your healing hand on them that are really suffering. Bless them, Lord, and bring them back to health. Besides blessing our class, in Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm. We're on our way to the promised land. Israel is. They're on their way to the promised land. They got the Ten Commandments. They got the tabernacle built. They have the priesthood already, and everybody knows his job, exactly what to do. And so they're ready to go. And in chapter 9, that we see that the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year. So they'd been a year building the tabernacle. They'd been a year uh, getting everything ready. And the priests with their jobs, knowing just what job they have to do, we've seen all of that. There are lessons for us because God said that, well, that that everything back here in the Old Testament was written and put down for examples. It's an example book for us. And so as we learn that there's wonderful examples for us in these passages. And so they've been a year. Then the Lord said, now it's time to go. But first of all, you have to keep the Passover at its appointed time. We talked about that last week, how important the Passover is. So they left in the spring, March, April, when Passover is, on the 14th day of this month at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time according to all of its rites and ceremonies, you shall keep it. Because it pictures salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation through the blood of the lamb. They had to kill a lamb and spread its blood on their doorposts and everything. And everybody that was under the blood, the angel of death passed over them. The Egyptians, they all died that night. And the the Egyptian crown prince died. It was a terrible time for the Egyptians. And they finally, because he wouldn't let them go, Pharaoh wouldn't, he finally says, get out. That was the final thing, the death of his son. And so they left a year before this. And so the night was called the Passover when the angel passed over. And they were to remember this every year. And they do. Jewish people still do it. They don't have a lamb. They usually have a chicken or a turkey or something because the lamb has already died and paid for sin. And so someday during the kingdom, all of this will be reenacted again. They will have a Passover. They will have the sacrifices. And they will look back to what Jesus did on the cross. So they kept the Passover, and on the day, verse 15, that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of testimony, from evening till morning, so that they were covered by God's cloud, and the fire by night and the cloud by day, so that God was with them all the time, guiding them. When the cloud was lifted up, they moved. When the cloud settled, they stopped. They did everything according to what God planned. And that's what we should do. We should keep everything in mind that God says for us in this word, in this Bible, and not step beyond what he wants us to do, but let him guide us. And the wonderful thing about that is Psalm 23. How many of you know the 23rd Psalm by heart? Well, we should. But notice the first part of it. The Lord is my shepherd. First of all, they were God's people. They were redeemed. By the blood of the Lamb, they all passed through. Paul says in Romans that they were all under the cloud. They all passed through the Red Sea, and they were all saved. But when you're saved, you could still be very, you have your old sin nature and be very rebellious, which these people were. But so the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. See, otherwise I'd be going by rough waters. But he will guide, when you let him guide you, that's what he will do. He will lead you. Um, you won't have any want. You'll lie down in green pastures. You'll be led beside still waters, not a roaring stream or Niagara Falls. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
so this is a wonderful thing. That's what the cloud and the fire were doing for the children of Israel. So notice it said, whenever the cloud, it was covered by day, verse 16, and the appearance of fire by night. Can you imagine what all of these heathen thought as they saw these three million people with this cloud covering the day? I mean, it must have been a huge thing in the fire at night. And that's rather flat territory. They could be seen for miles and miles and miles. So at the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey. And at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud continued long, many days above the tabernacle, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not journey. So it was, when the cloud was above the tabernacle a few days, according to the command of the Lord, they would remain encamped, and according to the command of the Lord, they would journey. So it was, when the cloud remained only from evening till morning, when the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they would journey. Whether by day or night, whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey. Whether it was two days, a month, or a year, the cloud remained above the tabernacle. The children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. But when it was taken up, they would journey. At the command of the Lord, they remained encamped. And at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And Dr. McIntosh says, and in this trackless desert of this world in which we live, God's people need the guidance of the Holy Spirit by day and by night. And so in chapter 10, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, now this is an interesting interlude because what about these trumpets? Make two silver trumpets. When the word trumpets comes to mind, it should bring to mind passages in the New Testament for us. Can you think of two special passages where trumpets are mentioned? Well, I can. And we'll look at them in a minute. But make two silver trumpets of hammered work. You shall use them for calling the assembly. See, and what First Thessalonians 4 says, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And that will be calling us. That's calling the dead to life again. The resurrection. You shall use it for calling the assembly. Back then they were living for directing the movement of the camps. When they blow both of them, all the assembly shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And if they blow only one, then the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel, shall gather to you. When you sound the advance, the camps that lie on the east side shall then begin their journey. When you sound the advance the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall begin their journey. See, nothing was left to chance. Nothing was left to just whatever they decided to do or whenever they decided to go. It was all set out by God. And so when the congregation is to be gathered together, you shall blow but not sound the advance. Then the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets. Only they should do it. And these shall be to you as an ordinance forever throughout your generation. When you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. Also, in the day of your gladness, whether fighting or happy times, feast, at the beginning of your month, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. So all is ready, Dr. McIntosh says. Uh, each man according to his pedigree and standard. The Levites are at their post, each with clearly defined work to do. Full provision is made for the cleansing of the camp from every species of defilement. Remember, we had to put out anyone that was had any defilement in their lives or in their bodies. Put out all that away. And the fruits of benevolence were presented for the Princes brought all these carts for them to carry things in. And so all they leave, and they're commanded to have personal holiness and the pillar of cloud, and finally the double testimony of the silver trumpets, the cloud and the light, the candles, the lampstand is going to go before them too. Now it came to pass, verse 11, on the 20th day of the second month, in the second year that the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle of testimony and the children of Israel set out from the wilderness of Sinai on their journeys, then the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran. And they started out for the first time according to the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. The standard of the camp of the children of Judah, 
set out first. Now, why Judah? Well, Judah was right there in front of the door of the tabernacle. In other words, the Lord Jesus is going to come from that tribe of Judah. Their standard was the, the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So they were to come out first. The tribe of Judah set out according to their armies. Over their army was Nation, the son of Amenadab. Over the army of the tribe of the children of Issachar was Nethaniel, the son of Zuar. And over the army of the tribe of the children of Zebulun was Eliab, the son of Helon. So those three were in front of the tabernacle, Judah in the middle. Then the tabernacle was taken down. Nobody took it down or touched the tabernacle till these three tribes, maybe thousands of them moved out. 17. Then the tabernacle was taken down, and the sons of Gershon and the sons of Merari set out carrying the tabernacle. Now that's what their job, they were the sons of Aaron. They were to carry the tabernacle. And then the standard of the camp of Reuben, and we talked about carrying the tabernacle, it wasn't to ride in a cart like the other things. It was to be carried on their shoulders because it represented God's throne right in their midst. And the standard of the camp of Reuben set out according to their armies. Over their army was Elijah, the son of Shadur. Over the army of the tribe of the children of Simeon was Shalumiel, the son of Zurishaddai. And over the army of the tribe of the children of Gad was Eliasaph, the son of Duel. Well, then the Kohathites set out, carrying the holy things. The tabernacle would be prepared for their arrival. So already the tabernacle's gone out and to be put up by the Levites. So then the tabernacle would already be prepared when everybody came. And the standard of the camp of the children of Ephraim set out according to their armies. Over their army was Elishama, the son of Amihud. Over the army of the tribe of the children of Manasseh was Gamaliel, the son of Pedazur. And over the army of the tribe of the children of Benjamin was Abedah, the son of Gideoni. Then the standard of the camp of the children of Dan, which formed the rear guard of all the camps, set out according to their armies. Over their army was Ahazer, the son of Amishadai. Now, this is interesting that the ark over the army of the tribe of the children of Asher was Pagiel, the son of Akron, and over the army of the tribe of the children of Naphtali was Ahira, the son of Enan. Thus was the order of march of the children of Israel according to their armies when they began their journey. So the ark, instead of being in the center of all the tribes and all the tribes around it more or less protecting, now it moves out. It's like God was in their midst, and now he's moving out to lead them at the very first. They move out with the tabernacle on the way, right on the, at the beginning of the march. Then Moses said to Hobab, the son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law. This is interesting to see that where Moses went, Midian, that's where he fled when he left Egypt. And that's where Mount Sinai is, down in Midian. And if you look at Bible maps, you'll see where Midian was. It was south east of Jerusalem of Israel, or Canaan at the time. So rule the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law. We are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us, and we will treat you well, for the Lord has promised good things to Israel. And he said to him, I will not go, but I will depart to my own land and to my kinsmen. So Moses said, please do not leave inasmuch as you know how we are to camp in the wilderness, and you can be our eyes. This might have been a little slip for Moses because God had said, I'll be your eyes. I'll lead you. He didn't need Hobab, the son of Rule, the Midianite. But anyway, he did. And we don't know for sure, but we think maybe he did go with them. You can be our eyes. And it shall be if you go with us, indeed it shall be, that whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same we will do to you. So they departed from the mountain of the Lord on a journey of three days. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them for the three days journey to search out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was above them by day when they went out from the camp. So it was whenever the ark set out that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, Moses said, Return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. Uh, Deuteronomy 32. Let's turn there just a minute. Deuteronomy 32, 10 to 12. Deuteronomy is such a wonderful book. He found him in a desert land, 
Oh, listen, I want to read just a little bit further. Start with a verse 8. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. See? And for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. And then he goes on the history. He found Jacob in a desert land and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, as an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. So the Lord alone led them, and there was no foreign God with them. He made him ride on the heights of the earth that he might eat the produce of the fields. He made him draw honey out of the rock and oil from the flinty rocks, curds from the cattle, milk from the flock, with fat of rams, fat of the breed of Bashan, and goats, with the choicest wheat, and you drank wine and the blood of the grapes. But Jeshurun, the upright one, Israel, grew fat and kicked. You grew fat. You grew thick. You're covered with fat. Then he forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods, with abominations that provoked God to anger. They sacrificed to demons, not to God, to gods they didn't know, to new gods, to new arrivals that your fathers didn't fear. Of the rock who begot you, you're unmindful. You have forgotten the God who fathered you. And so this is the history of them, and we're going to see in Numbers. They were so rebellious and so stubborn and so wanting to do their own thing. So we see then in chapter 11, the murmurings begin. Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it. Now see, they're complaining. They're on their way to the promised land. They have manna to eat. The cloud covers them by day, the fire by night, and now they're complaining. Now when the people complain, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So we called the name of the place Taborah because of the fire of the Lord, which means a burning. The fire of the Lord had burned among them. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to the intense craving. So the children of Israel, and they were maybe the ones that were outside the camp, but they, they were hangers-on that followed along and were going to go to the promised land with Israel. They weren't Jewish, but they were the mixed multitude. And they yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish that we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its color like the color of pearl, bdellium. And the people went about and gathered it, ground it on millstones, cooked it in pans, made cakes of it, and its taste was like the taste of pastry prepared with oil. And when the dew fell on the camp in the night, the manna fell on it. Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused, and Moses also was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servant, and why have I not found favor in your sight that you've laid the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a, as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers? Am I to carry them? Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep all over me, saying, Give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to bear all these people alone, because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. You see, he was very human, wasn't he, like we are. (laughs) If I found favor in your sight, and don't let me see my wretchedness. So the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take the spirit that's upon you and will put the same upon them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it all alone. Then you shall say to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. 
For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, not two days, not five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and it becomes loathsome to you because you've despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we ever come up out of Egypt? Did they forget the beatings and the scourgings and the slavery? Why did we ever come out of Egypt? And Moses said, the people whom I am among are 600,000 men on foot. Yet you've said, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, Has the Lord's arm been shortened? Moses, have you forgotten what I did to the Red Sea? I just opened it up for you to walk through dry sh- I can do anything. Now you shall see whether my word will befall you or not. So Moses went out, told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and gathered them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied. But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad and the name of the other Medad. And the spirit rested upon them, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Then Moses said to him, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets. See what a meek man. He had his moments of failure, but he was a wonderful, wonderful man of God. He said, Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And Moses returned to the camp, both he and the elders of Israel. Now a wind went out from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea and left them fluttering near the camp about three feet off the ground a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side all around the camp and about two cubits above the surface of the ground and the people stayed up all that day all that night and all the next day and gathered the quail he who gathered least gathered ten homers and they spread them out for themselves around the camp that's over a hundred bushels while the meat was still between their teeth before it was chewed the wrath of the lord was aroused against the people and the lord struck the people with a very great plague see they longed for fleshly things and they got death and judgment from god So he called the name of the place Kibrath Hatva, because there they buried the people who had yielded to craving, this mixed multitude. From Kibrath Hatva, the people moved to Hazaroth and camped at Hazaroth. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke. Now this is Moses' sister and brother. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he'd married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? The Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. Then he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision, and I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings or obscurely. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. 
So Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we've done foolishly and in which we've sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, Please heal her, O God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and after that, she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey on till Miriam was brought in again. And afterward, the people moved from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. I wanted to read you a little bit of what Dr. McIntosh says about this, about the Ethiopian woman. We've wondered, maybe his first wife had died, or maybe he took another wife. We don't know, but Dr. McIntosh says, in the union of Moses with the Ethiopian woman, we have a type of that great and marvelous mystery, the union of the church with Christ, her head. This subject has come up before us in our study of the book of Exodus, but we see it here in a a peculiar light, in that which evokes the enmity of Aaron and Miriam. The sovereign actings of grace draw forth the opposition of those who stand upon the ground of natural relationship and fleshly privilege. We know from the teaching of the New Testament that the extension of grace to the Gentiles was that which ever elicited the fiercest and most terrible hatred of the Jews. They didn't want Gentiles to be saved. Gentile dog. They didn't want that. They would not have it. They would not believe in it. Nay, they would not even hear of it. There is a very remarkable allusion to this in the 11th chapter of Romans where the apostle referring to the Gentiles says, For as you, you Gentiles, in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through the Jews' unbelief. Even so have these Jews also now not believed in mercy to you, that they may also obtain mercy. This is precisely what we have typically presented So it's a type in the history of Moses. He, first of all, presented himself to Israel, his brethren, according to the flesh. Remember when he said, didn't you know that I had come to set you free? He presented him according to the flesh, but they in unbelief, who made you a ruler over us? That's what they said. Who made you a leader and a ruler over us? They thrust him from them and wouldn't have him. This became in the sovereignty of God, the occasion of mercy to the stranger, for it was during the period of Moses' rejection by Israel that he formed the mystic and typical union with a Gentile bride, the Ethiopian woman. Against this union, Miriam and Aaron speak in the chapter before us, and their opposition brings down the judgment of God. Miriam became leprous, a poor, defiled thing, a proper subject of mercy, which flows out to her through the intercession of the very one against whom she'd spoken. The type is complete and most striking. The Jews have not believed in the glorious truth of mercy to the Gentiles, and therefore wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. But they will be brought in by and by, on the ground of simple mercy, just as the Gentiles have come in. This is very humiliating to those who sought to stand on the ground of promise and national privilege. In Abraham, this is our promise, and we are special. But thus it is in the dispensational wisdom of God, the very thought of which draws forth from the inspired apostle Paul that magnificent doxology, Oh, the depth of the riches, this is Romans 11, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Who's known the mind of the Lord or who's been his counselor or who is first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him, through him, to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Thus much as to the typical bearing of our chapter. Let us now look at it in its moral and practical bearing. And Miriam and Aaron spake against the Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he'd married for he'd married an Ethiopian woman and they said hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses has he not spoken also by us and the Lord heard it now the man Moses was very meek above all the men that were on the face of the earth and the Lord spoke suddenly to Moses and Aaron come out you three into the tabernacle of the congregation they came out 
And the Lord came down on the pillar of cloud, stood in the door of the tabernacle, called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak to him in a dream. But my servant Moses isn't a prophet. He's faithful in all my house. With him I will speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore, then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against him, and he departed, and the cloud departed, and Miriam became leprous. And Aaron looked on Miriam, and she was leprous. It's the most serious thing to speak against this Lord's service. It was a rebellion. But then in this next page, it says about Moses, the picture of this. In the few closing lines of our chapter, it confirms the typical or dispensational view which we'd ventured to suggest that the Lord said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed? Seven days, let her be shut out from the camp. Seven days. And after that, see, when you see these numbers like that, you prick up your ears. Let her be shut out from the camp seven days. And after that, let her be received in again. And Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days, and the people journeyed not until Miriam was brought in. And afterward, the people removed from Hazaroth, pitched in the wilderness of Paran. We may regard Miriam thus, shut out of the camp, as a figure of the present condition of the nation of Israel, who, in consequence of their implacable opposition to the divine thought of mercy to the Gentiles, are set aside. See, for 2,000 years they've been set aside. And when the seven days have run their course, that will be the seven years of tribulation, have run their course, Israel shall be restored on the ground of sovereign mercy exercised toward them through the intercession. See, like Moses interceded for them, for his brother and sister, Christ will intercede for the Jewish people. So then, this next chapter, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men, to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the children of Israel from each tribe. Now, did God do this or what happened here? I want you to turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 1 because this tells it. It was the people that begged Moses. Deuteronomy starts out this way. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of the Jordan in the wilderness in the plain between Paran, Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It's 11 days' journey from Mount Sinai, Horeb, by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea, to the Promised Land, 11 days' journey. Now it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, why did it take so long? Well, that's what we'll see in Numbers. That Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him as commandments after he had killed Sihon, king of the Amorites, and dwelt in Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, and dwelt in Ashtaroth in Edrei. On this side of the Jordan, in the land of Moab, See, that'd be east of the Jordan. Moses began to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God spoke to us in Sinai, in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough in this mountain. Turn and take your journeys and go to the mountains of the Amorites, to all the neighboring places in the plain, in the mountains, in the lowland, in the south, in the seacoast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Nothing about spies being sent at all. To Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them and their descendants after them. And I spoke to you at that time saying, I alone am not able to bear you, and the Lord your God has multiplied you. Here you are as the stars of heaven in multitude. May the Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times more numerous than you are and bless you as he has promised you. How can I alone bear your problems and your burdens and your complaints? So choose wise and understanding, knowledgeable men from among your tribes, and I will make them heads over you. And you answered me and said, the things which you have told us to do is good. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and knowledgeable men, made them heads over you, leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties, leaders of tens, and officers for your tribes. Then I commanded your judges at that time, saying, hear the cases between your brethren, and judge righteously between a man and his brother, or the stranger who's with you, the Gentile. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid in any man's presence, for the judgment is God's. 
the case is too hard for you. If it is, bring it to me and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time. So we departed from Horeb, from Mount Sinai, and went through all that great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites and commanded that we come to Kadesh. And I said, you've come to the mountains of the Amorites and the Lord our God is with us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you so that you aren't discouraged or fearful. And every one of you came near to me and said, let us see. Now notice what happened. Every one of you, these leaders of the tribe, came near to me and said, let us send men before us and let us search out the land for us and bring back word to us. This is unbelief, isn't it? Let's see for ourselves. You've told us, but we don't believe you, God. Let us search out the land for us. Bring back the word to us of the way by which we should go up and of the cities into which we shall come. And the plan pleased me well, so I took 12 of your men, one man from each tribe, and they departed and went up into the mountains and came to the valley of Eshcol, spied it out. They also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands, brought it down to us, and they brought back word to us, saying, It's a good land which the Lord our God is giving us. Nevertheless, you would not go up but rebelled against the commandment of God. You murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he's brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites and to destroy us. Well, what was happening? They were being destroyed in Egypt. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts. The people are greater up there in Canaan, greater and taller than we are. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we've seen the sons of Anakim there the Nephilim, the giants. And I said to you, don't be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. A giant's nothing before the Lord. And in the wilderness where you saw the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God. Now, so we go back and we see it from the book of Numbers. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men out to spy the land of Canaan. See, sometimes God gives you requests, but sends leanness into your soul. And it wasn't God's plan, but he lets them do it. And knowing the end, which I am giving to the children of Israel, from each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of the men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now these were the names from the tribe of Reuben, Shammah the son of Zachar, from Simeon, Shaphat, from Judah, Caleb, from Issachar, Eagle, from Ephraim, Hoshea, from Benjamin, Palti, from Zebulun, Gadiel, from the tribe of Joseph, Manasseh, Gadiel, the son of Susi, from the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gamali, from the tribe of Asher, Sether, from the tribe of Naphtali, Nabi, from the tribe of Gad, Guel, the son of Maki. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent out to spy the land. And Moses called Hosea, Joshua, the son of Nun, Joshua. So Moses sent them out, and that's the same name as Jesus, really, from the Old Testament. That's Jesus in the Old Testament. Savior, it means. So Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the people is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad. And God had said, it's good. (laughs) But now you go up and see if it's good or bad. Uh, wretch or poor, whether there are forests there or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now, the time was that season of first ripe grapes, which would be July or August. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as uh, Rehob near the entrance of Hammon. That's the Arantas River, which would be up there in Syria. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron. Ahiman, Shishai, Talmai, the descendants of Anak were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zon in Egypt. And then they came to the valley of Eshcol and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between their shoulders on a pole. Have you ever seen grapes that big? It took two men to carry them, one bunch. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eshkel because the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days 
underline the 40. So they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. We saw these giants. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. Now, this Hyksos capital, the Hittites, in 720 B.C., 1570 B.C., it was a very, you know, many people have said in the last century that there was no such people as the Hittites. Well, they found now that it was a mighty, all of Turkey and all that area was Hittite land. And said, the Amalekites and the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we're well able to overcome it. For if God is for us, who can be against us? But the men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against this people. They are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. So we were in their sight. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we died in the land of Egypt, if only we died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let's select a leader. Let us pick a leader, not you, Moses. He'll take us back to Egypt. Can you imagine going back? What a reception they would have gotten in Egypt (laughs) after they decimated the land and killed the crown prince and took all their wealth. It'd be better to return to Egypt. So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land. Give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Don't rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they're our bread. Their protection is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregations said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before the children of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I'll make of you a nation greater and mightier, Moses, than they. And Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear it, for by your might you brought these people. See, he brings it back right to the Lord. You know, some people would say, Okay, that'll be me. But no, he didn't do that. And he said, Then the Egyptians will hear it. For by your might you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land, the Canaanites. And they have heard of that you, Lord, are among these people, and that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and that your cloud stands above them, and you go before them a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty." visiting the sins of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you've forgiven this people from Egypt even till now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word.
But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who murmur against me? I've heard the murmurings which the children of Israel murmur against me. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have murmured against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. You shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness according to the number of the days which you spied out the land. Forty days for each day you shall bear your guilt. One year, namely forty years, and you shall know my opposition or rejection. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall be consumed, and there they shall die. And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation murmur against him by bringing a bad report on the land, those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive of the men who went to spy out the land. Then Moses told these words to all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain, saying, Here we are. Now we'll go fight. Now we're going to go up and take the land the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. Take it into our own hands. Then Moses said, now why do you transgress the command of the Lord? For this will not succeed. The Lord isn't going to go up with you. Do not go up lest you be defeated by your enemies, for the Lord is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword. Because you've turned away from the Lord, the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwell in the mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. You cannot trust in yourself. Now I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 3 in closing. Let's look at verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion back in Exodus and Numbers, as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, proved me, saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They haven't known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. There are several rests in the Bible, but the rest of getting into the land of Canaan. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you. Now, Paul is writing this to the Jews of his day that were believers. There in any of you, there's an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, refusing to believe the word. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. That's in third class condition. Maybe we will and maybe we won't. And they didn't. For who having heard rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they wouldn't enter his rest? But to those who did not obey. So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. So actually, you draw a line 
here, or circle unbelief, and over in the next part, circle disobedience. Disobedience and unbelief, they seem to be equated here. They couldn't enter in because of unbelief. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard didn't profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So we have to know the promises of God, believe the promises of God, and move out, act on them. That's what we have to do. This is a whole other lesson on the faith rest life. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he said. So I swore in my wrath they will not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now he's speaking of the rest at the end of creation when God rested. That was one of them. He spoke in a certain place of the seventh day. God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again in this place they shall not enter my rest. So there's another rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, And those to whom it was first preached, these Jewish people, did not enter because of disobedience, unbelief. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear my voice, don't harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he wouldn't have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. Now, what is this rest that you and I can have? Here it is in the 10th verse. For he who has entered God's rest has himself ceased from his works as God ceased from his works. See? But then, and let him do the work. See, it isn't work. It's grace. It's faith. We cease from believing. We exchange our strength for his, like Isaiah 40, 31. Uh, He who entered his rest has himself ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest today where God does the work and God gets the credit. See, it's a faith rest life of knowing God's promises. You've got to read the word of God in order to know what he says. Not just take what I say, read it for yourselves and then believe them and then you move out and and live by them. Let's be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall after the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, (coughs) piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of whom we must give account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, not Aaron, who's our high priest? Jesus. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens after he left this earth and resurrected, he went back to heaven. He passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, not stay away like they had to in the Old Testament. Now we can come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of meese. The Sabbath teaches grace. You don't work for salvation. And we exchange our strength for his strength. And we live by the promises in his word. That's Christianity. That's what we should be doing. But we like the Israelites laps, don't we? We don't believe him half the time. And there are many Christians today that don't believe the Bible's inspired. They don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that they don't believe in the Trinity. And they they don't believe. They're just like these people in the Old Testament. Let's not have us be one of them. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. Bless these lessons to our hearts that we see from the children of Israel because we know that we're just like they are. We have we have sinful natures just like they do. and But God has promised that he won't test us, tempt us more than we're able in this church age, but will, with the temptation, make a way to escape that we may be able to bear it. So, Lord, we just thank you for your promises, and we want to live by them. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>